last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass and All Access Podcast Series Recaps. Your friendly neighborhood host, Bobby Blanco here. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are back with the recaps after a lengthy break. The last time we talked, we broke down the Nats' two-game sweep of the Phillies in Philadelphia at the end of June with that wild 13-12 win on a getaway day. So it has been a while. Since then, the Nats went 8-13 up to and through the All-Star break. And entering this three-game series against the Marlins, they were 43-49 and 49 on the season in fourth place, six games back of the Mets in the National League East. After three games against the Padres this past weekend, of which the Nats only salvaged one victory on Sunday, the Nationals started an easier stretch on their schedule against teams with records closer to 500, starting with the Marlins, who were the first out of three of their next four opponents with records below 500. Let's break it down. If the Nationals want to get back into the playoff mix, they're going to need a lot more from their starting pitchers. And John Lester is definitely a name that pops up in that conversation as someone who needs to turn in more consistent outings. Entering the All-Star break, Lester was 2-4 with a 5.54 ERA and had only gotten out of the fourth inning once in his previous four starts. So it was time to turn the page to the second half of his season on Monday in his first outing post-break, and he got off to a great start to the second half. With some big-time run support, Lester turned in his best start of the season, tossing seven scoreless innings while striking out a season-high seven batters. The veteran was attacking the strike zone and recording quick outs while holding the Marlins to only six hits and no walks on 81 pitches. This was his longest start since July 27, 2019 for the Chicago Cubs. And after the game, Lester mentioned that the time away during the All-Star break allowed him to rest up and have a mental break from the game, which led to this rejuvenated start to his second half. He also contributed at the plate, recording two hits, including a 419-foot two-run home run in the bottom of the fifth, the fourth homer of his career. Hit in the air to deep right center field. Way back. Does he have number four? He does! He's going to get the key. That was the first home run by any Nationals pitcher since July 18th, 2019, when Steven Strasburg hit a grand slam in Atlanta. The big-time run support for Lester came early and quickly for the starting pitcher as the Nats bats teed off on former National Ross Detweiler for eight runs before even making four outs. Four of the ten batters Detweiler faced, Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Tres Barrera, and Trey Turner, all homered. Belted to left field deep. This one over Brinson and gone. Number 15 for Soto. Nationals three, Marlins nothing. Right out of the gate. Swinging a long drive to left. Forget about it. Top of section 104 for Josh Bell. The Nationals go back to back and lead four to nothing. And launches one to deep left center field. Brinson going back. That is home run number one. Trace Barrera's on the board with his first big league homer. 
What a moment for this young catcher. The Nationals five, the Marlins nothing. Get him that baseball. Long drive, left field. Turner makes it eight to nothing. That was Soto's fourth homer in four games since the home run derby. Bell's 13th of the season and fourth batting right-handed. Barrera's first of his major league career, after which he received a long silent treatment before being mobbed by his teammates in celebration. And he did confirm after the game that he did get that ball back. And Turner's 18th of the season. The Nationals offense then added two more off David Hess and had a 10-0 lead after two innings. The offense kept coming, and so did the homers for Soto, who hit his fifth since the break off catcher Sandy Leone, another former National, in garbage time later in the game as the Nats went on to win the opener 18-1. Lester improved to 3-4 and four on the season. Detweiler fell to 1-1. One, one. one run, 9 hits, 1 error for the Marlins. 18 runs on 18 hits, 0 errors for the Nationals. Alcides Escobar, acquired from the Royals for cash around July 4th weekend, went 2-3 for three with a walk and 3 runs scored in the leadoff spot. Turner finished 2-4 for four with 4 RBIs and 2 runs scored on a home run and triple Soto finished 3-for-4 with two homers, five RBIs, and three runs scored. And even Gerardo Parra went 3-for-5 with an RBI and run scored. And Tres Barrera had another multi-hit game with his first home run. The Marlins' only run came on a solo home run by Miguel Rojas off Wander Suero in the eighth inning before Jeffrey Rodriguez closed out the win in the ninth. The Nats were hoping Lester's strong start would carry over some momentum into Tuesday's game with Paulo Espino taking the mound. And Paulo, who is suddenly the Nats' most consistent starter, was up to the challenge by pitching five scoreless innings while striking out four, walking none, and only giving up four hits. The Nats' offense handed Espino a 2-0 lead with RBIs from Victor Robles and Ryan Zimmerman, but in the top of the six is where they ran into some trouble with Austin Voth taking over for Espino. After issuing a leadoff walk and then a single to put two on with no outs to start the inning, both gave up a three-run home run to Adam Duvall to see that lead turn into a 3-2 deficit in a blink of an eye. No matter, though, because the Nats' big bats came to play starting in the bottom of the frame. After tying the game at three on a Tres Barrera double and Yadiel Hernandez RBI single, Alcides Escobar was hit by a pitch on the wrist. He would have to leave the game, but tests were negative, and he was back in the lineup for Wednesday's finale. And Trey Turner drove in the go-ahead run with a line drive to center field. Juan Soto added another run with an RBI single to the left for a 5-3 lead after six. And then with the game still within reach, Josh Bell sealed the win with a pinch hit leadoff home run in the eighth inning. Josh Bell to left field. Has he homered in back-to-back games? He sure has. From the right side yet again. Brad Hand closed out the 6-3 victory on 14 pitches in the ninth inning. Austin Voth was charged with the blown save, but also credited with the win. Richard Blyer took the loss for the Marlins and was also ejected in the sixth inning. And Brad Hand earned his 20th save of the season. Three runs, six hits, one error for the Marlins. Six runs, 11 hits, zero errors for the Nationals. Turner and Barrera finished with two hit days. And Kyle Finnegan and Daniel Hudson each had perfect innings of relief as the Nats won their third in a row. Looking for the sweep and their fourth straight win, Davey Martinez turned to Eric Fetty for Wednesday night's finale. 
and he turned in another nice outing by a Nats starting pitcher, allowing only one unearned run on four hits, one walk, and four strikeouts over six innings. That unearned run came the top of the fourth, but once again, the Nats responded in the bottom of the inning with an RBI double by Andrew Stevenson. That was pretty much it for the action in this one until late in the game. The Nats had some chances leading up to the end of the game, but they would ground out into four double plays on the night to keep the score at 1-1 after nine innings. Brad Hand would come on to pitch another perfect ninth on 19 pitches, but then return to the mound to start the 10th. And now he hasn't pitched much over the last couple of weeks, including the All-Star break, so he was plenty rested, but he allowed two runs to score, one unearned, of course, in the 10th, as the Marlins took a 3-1 lead. And then the Nats' bats went down silently in the bottom of the inning for their first loss to the Marlins at home this season. Dylan Floro earned the win for the Marlins. Brad Hand took the loss, falling to 5-3 on the season. And Yimmy Garcia earned his 14th save for the Fish. Three runs, six hits, one error for the Marlins. One run, six hits, one error for the Nats. A sluggish night offensively for the Nationals. Just ran into some bad luck with the double play balls and hard hit outs all night. Kyle Finnegan and Daniel Hudson, though, each had scoreless innings of relief again for Davey Martinez. And some more good news over this series, national starters did not give up an earned run over a combined 18 innings. The Nats are now 45-50 and 50 on the season, six games out of first place in the division behind the Mets in fourth place in the National League East. After Thursday's off day, they head up I-295 North to Baltimore for the Battle of the Beltways against the Orioles. Let's take a look at the opposite dugout. Brandon Hyde's Baltimore Orioles are 31-64 and 64 on the season, last in the American League East, 26 and a half games back of the Red Sox. Over their last 10 games, they're 3-7 and seven and are 4-9 and nine so far in July, but 3-3 three and three since the All-Star break. This is their second meeting against the Nationals this season, who swept the O's over three games in D.C. back in mid-May. Pitching probables for this weekend, Friday night's opener, Patrick Corbin will take on right-hander Jorge Lopez at 7.05 p.m. on Masson 2. Saturday night's game, Max Scherzer will face rookie right-hander Spencer Watkins. That's a 6.35 start on Masson 2. And then in Sunday afternoon's finale, John Lester will face either left-hander John Means or right-hander Matt Harvey. That's a 1.05 p.m. start on Masson 2. All of the Nationals' coverage will be on Masson 2. And you can also catch the Orioles coverage on Masson if you wish. Sunday's game, again, unsure who will start. It will be Matt Harvey's turn in the rotation, but John Means will be on full rest for Sunday. The O's are still going through their rebuild and are more concerned about their rising prospects and recent draft picks than the short-term success of their major league club, though they could be big players in next week's trade deadline as one of the top-selling teams. The O's were, however, well-represented at last week's All-Star game. Trey Mancini finished as the runner-up to Pete Alonso in the home run derby, and Cedric Mullins, a starter for the American League, scored a run for the team in the actual game. On the season, Mancini and Mullins are tied for the team lead with 16 homers each, and though Mancini has 57 RBIs with a 261 average, Mullins is hitting 314 with a 914 OPS and 16 stolen bases. On the mound, Jorge Lopez has a 604 ERA, two wins, and a major league worst 12 losses on the season. One of those losses came against the Nats back on May 21st in D.C., though he gave up only two runs and seven hits while striking out eight over five innings. Rookie Spencer Watkins gets the fourth start of his young career, and all he has to do is face Max Scherzer. Watkins is 2-0 with a 165 ERA over his four appearances this season, and his best outing came on Monday in Tampa Bay with just one run and seven strikeouts over six innings. 
If Sunday starter is Matt Harvey, he's 4-10 and with a 7-13 ERA on the season, even after his best start of the year on Sunday with six scoreless innings against the Royals. He gave up six runs, five earned with six strikeouts, over four and two-third innings in a loss to the Nats in May. If it's John Means on Sunday, he'll be making just his second start since June 5th while nursing a shoulder injury. In his first start back, he gave up five runs on seven hits and two homers in just five innings Tuesday in Tampa Bay. The Nationals missed the O's ace in the series in D.C. back in May, and he only pitched two-thirds of an inning against the Nationals last year in a start returning from injury, allowing three runs and four hits, the only time in his career that he's faced Washington. Since his no-hitter in Seattle on May 5th, John Means is 0-3 with a 4.80 ERA, with the Orioles losing each of those six starts. Out of the bullpen, right-hander Cesar Valdez is Brandon Hines' main closer with eight saves and a 5.88 ERA. And Hyde utilizes a long list of relievers, so you don't know who you'll see on any given day. Oriole Park at Camden Yards is at full capacity, and it should be a beautiful weekend. So if you're able, you should make a day trip up north for some crab cakes and baseball. I will be in attendance for Sunday afternoon's game, enjoying some nice weather and some friendship at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. That's going to do it for this series recap. Be sure to tune in to Oriole Series this weekend on Masson 2 for your Nationals coverage. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Masson All Access Podcast Series Recaps. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and or SoundCloud. And check out our live episode each week, myself with Amy Jennings. Uh, next week will be Tuesday or Wednesday for the full trade deadline preview. We go live on our Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter accounts at Masson Nationals across the board. You can also check out my interview with the Nationals' number one prospect, Cade Cavalli, on our previous episode. Be sure to check that out as well. And give at Mass and Nationals a follow on all social media accounts and check out Mark Zuckerman's coverage on MassInSports.com. And I'll have your game coverage on the website Saturday night for Max Scherzer's start in Baltimore. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. Give me a follow uh, for podcast updates and game updates on Saturday night. Our next episode of Series Recaps will drop Monday, recapping the Battle of the Beltways and looking ahead to a four-game series in Philadelphia. Until then, enjoy the games, and we'll talk to you later.